This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Running the games is typically, ready for this? In the $800 million range, could go up as high as $1 or $1.5 billion from us and other levels of government. Bring in Bubba O'Neill from CHCH here, Bubba. I think maybe a few people listening were saying, hey, that's not a bad idea. And then I said $1.5 billion and they spewed their whatever they were drinking all over the person next to them. What do you think? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same thought there. I mean, I mean the, the uh, Pan Am games, which I mean, I guess are somewhat equivalent to um, the amount of countries that would be coming here, the same sort of setups and uh, venues that would be required, cost, cost the came at a cost of $2.5 billion, right? That's when he, when everything was said and done. And, of course, they went over budget, which I believe they predicted was about 2.2. So um, it was, they kept it pretty close to the vest. But, I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That, that's a lot of money. And, you know, here I am, a sportscaster in this area. I mean, I love our local sports, our university sports, uh, uh, local level. I mean, I, 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 all the props to uh, to us for what we do on that level. But I, I mean, what's the reasoning for 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 hosting these games? I mean, so what we can beat our chest and say, look at us in Hamilton for two weeks. We can feel this not this this sort of pride about ourselves. I mean, is it for legacy? To you know, because we have I mean, maybe some new buildings are built. Um, hey, you know. I'd rather see Burlington Street fixed. Yeah. Well, know, like, especially yeah. because, Bubba, honestly, like uh, uh, my initial reaction to this, and honestly, it has been every time we've bid on this is, and again, maybe I, I may be just having a really cynical day today, but does anybody truly care about the Commonwealth Games? Well, I, I don't know if people, I mean, we said the same thing there with the, uh, with the Pan Am games, right? Does anyone care about them? And, and I think it, it, it has proven that when the games do start, when you get close to it, people do care. And you're waving the Canadian flag. So, yes, I do think people care. But do they care enough and for long enough? And what is the lasting results of it? At the, and you, you, do all, you factor in all of those factors, sorry, and then you look at the cost, and you, and you really have to honestly think, is it worth it? And again, I'm going to use that $2.5 billion number again. Wouldn't you, as a, I mean, and you live in Ancaster, I believe, right? I do. Okay, now, and, and so I'll include Ancaster and Flamborough uh, in, in the Hamilton area as well, too. I'll go as far as Stony Creek. I mean, wouldn't you rather, as as a resident of this, you know, this Golden Horseshoe, wouldn't you rather see that money put into the downtown development? Um, as I said, Burlington Street, so you're you don't have to drive and drive around potholes. Wouldn't you rather see more rink? You have kids, more parks and rinks for kids in Hamilton. Uh, I don't know, improved transportation, maybe another. You know, we, we're getting the benefit of a, uh, um, I guess that monorail thing that that's going down. Like, what, what you <laughs> the monorail. The LRT. The LRT. Wouldn't you want to see more of that? Wouldn't you want to see our, that money spent that way? It, it just, I mean, yeah. again, at, at the at the at the thought of we could have more of that stuff and improve the city and make it more glowing. Hey, we're doing a Hamilton's undergoing an amazing resurgence right now. Areas that people never wanted to live in, uh, gentrified areas, and more houses are being improved. Cool Lock Street, Cool Ottawa Street. Why not more of that than 
two weeks of glory and be patting our chest and say, look at the games that we're putting on here. If we are bound and determined as a city to spend $100 million, let's say, because if it's $1 billion, the city is going to be on the hook for at least $100 million. There's no way we're getting less than a tenth. Maybe, maybe so, but I don't think so. But if we're going to put $100 million of city money into something, do you remember the designs they came up with to fix first Ontario Centre? So first, so Cops Coliseum, as a lot of people know, it doesn't start falling down and gets brought. Yeah. Let's put it there. So we have a building that is now usable. As you say, Burlington Street, there's other places. But I'm with you. And, and it, what's really funny about this discussion, if people have not picked up on the irony here, is you have two guys who cover sports, who love sports, yeah. who are all over sports saying, this doesn't make any sense. This kind of thing, I love when the Olympics are on somewhere else when not to be, you know, all it's their problem, but when they got to pay the bill afterwards, not us, when they've got to find out what to do with those facilities that suddenly can't be used, not us. They're saying, I mean, here, some of the stuff that Matthew points out, we would need to build a new pool. We don't have a pool that would be appropriate. Uh, we would need an athletic track. We don't have a facility. We don't have a, a, a stadium that has a track. So the answer that they have come up with as a possible solution, because we don't want to probably spend $500 million on a track for two weeks or a week, really, is we could put a running surface on a temporary set of risers in the first 20 rows of Tim Horton's field. So it's like an elevated track, but... That work to do that would take the stadium out of commission for three to six months leading up to the game. So basically now the Hamilton Tiger Cats are homeless again for a season in order to have a track that we would pay a lot of money to take down right after the games and show nothing for. None of this seems to make any sense to me. Scott. I mean, and if I have to cover the Tiger Cats in Guelph again, I quit. Guelph? No, 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 sir. They're going to be talking about, they want to try a road trip to Inukshuk. (laughs) <laughs> they want to really make the fans work for this one. No, it's look, it's, it's, it doesn't, to me, there is literally, that I'm reading about this, that I'm hearing about this, there is nothing right now that appeals to me enough to say this makes a lot of sense for us yeah. to go after this, except for the 100th anniversary. But couldn't we have a fun torch relay through the downtown to celebrate the 100th anniversary? Do we have to spend a billion dollars? I mean, again, it all, again, it, it, for me, just to beat your chest and say, look at us, I mean, a hundred year anniversary celebrations, that, that stuff dies out real quick. And like I said, the money could be, it could have a much long lasting effect. And, and I totally agree with you. I'm glad you said what you said about here, here are two sports fellas having this conversation. And, and, and because we can look at it, and, I, and boy, anyone's out there. Go to YouTube. This is why YouTube is a wonderful thing. Go go type up about what is going on in Greece right now with all the money and, and the the uh, venues that were built for the Olympics in that year. Rio. Sochi. It, it, it looked beautiful for the time. It was wonderful two weeks and all of those venues. But at the end of the day, is it really worth it? I don't think, uh, to be fair, I don't, I I would hope that we would not replicate what Sochi or Rio or Greece or Athens did by building these massive palaces of sport and then basically abandoning them. I would like to believe that here in this country, we would be better about 
looking after the stuff. That said, your point is very well taken. People should go online and look, type in Rio Olympic facilities, type in Athens Olympic facilities, type in Sochi Olympic facilities. There are photo galleries showing you that these things have largely been abandoned. They are overrun by vandalism and rundown. They've spent billions on this and they have nothing to show for it now. I mean, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, or nearly 50 years ago, I'm going to say, you know, with Expo in Montreal, how, I mean, I know that I know they were a lot smarter in, in terms of finances, and I mean, they went all out in Montreal for Expo, but I mean, it, it took them years to recover from that. And you know, when, like I said, you know, we have a shortage of rinks. In, I mean, hockey's so popular here. There's a shortage of rinks. There's a shortage of soccer stadiums. We could use more baseball diamonds. How about improve a football field for the Hamilton Hurricanes? I mean, I could go on and on and on. I, these are the things for sport I'd like to see improved for our areas so that, you know what, the kids that are growing up right now that are just playing elementary sports or playing town sports, that they have great facilities. And, and, and I know there's, you know, by, by, you know, having games like this, maybe we could have more facilities that were built. Some. And, 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 and you know, there could be a legacy in the fact that, the, that many of the kids in the area could be using. But, but there are so many other things outside of sport where I believe our money is better spent. And, and again, that's just kind of the way I feel. And, and it's weird because, you know, when I, when I first heard about this, I'm like, ooh, Commonwealth Games, that would be kind of cool. But then after you settle down and really think about what the long-lasting effects are and you weigh in, weigh the, everything that would have to change here in Hamilton, I just don't think it's worth it. Well, and we know in the world we live in right now, remember when the Pan Am Games were here, even for the Pan Am Games, the level of security, and that was for one venue. That was guarding one venue. Now it's a big place. I know it's a city block, but still, that's one venue. Now imagine you've got to guard... 10 venues around the city and all the people moving around everything else, security. So let's say, and I don't think I'm far off here, let's say security cost, throw out a number, $200 million just to handle security for those two weeks. I would so much rather take that $200 million, again, if we are bound and determined to spend $200 million of taxpayers' money and have something to show for it at the end, because unlike you, Bubba, I am less believing that the seats would be filled. I am less believing that there would be a widespread swell of people interested in the Commonwealth Games. I think people would come for certain events, but I think you would see seas of empty seats for a lot of other ones. I just, I just, I saw no evidence except for small pockets during the Pan Am Games that this was something that people had bought into completely and was a citywide celebration. Well, I mean, you know, I think we've discussed, you know, I mean, everyone's talking about the World Cup and, you know, get the split venue between the United States and Canada and maybe an opportunity for Hamilton to host a game at Tim Hortons Field and what may have to be done to retrofit the stadium to, you know, to FIFA standards to, to host a World Cup game. You know, and if all of that's done and all that money is spent, and I'm just, I know I'm kind of lengthening this, the conversation here, but, but, you know, that costs money to have a, a World Cup game here. And at the end of the day, if we do have a World Cup game here, what are we going to get? Are we going to get uh, Iceland versus Peru? Maybe, but the one thing you would have if you had a World Cup game, because it's the World Cup, it's the biggest sporting event in the world, even if it was Vatican City versus Liechtenstein, you would have a full house. And you would sell the ticket, you would. because Absolutely, because it's the World Cup. Now, if this was the... 
I don't know, make up some other name of something that was the third level or fourth level down from that. No, nobody's coming for that. But the World Cup, it just the name, the brand would fill the place. I, I, I think I agree with you, but I still believe that we would get the bottom of the barrel games. And, and I think the mentality... Oh, for sure we would. No, for I, sure. And I think there's a mentality of, wow, you know, this isn't England, this isn't Portugal, this isn't Italy. You know, Depends how many games we got. If it was the World Cup and we had a game or we had two games, I think there would be no problem filling Tim Horton's field unquestionably. If we had five games people would start to pick which game or two they really want to see. Of course. But that takes us back again to my point in the first place. People would probably, for the Commonwealth Games, they'd probably buy tickets to go see the night of the 100-meter finals. Right. They'd probably buy tickets for the opening and closing ceremonies. But are you showing up for qualification rounds for the discus and pole vault? With all due respect to those sports, probably not. No, no. And I've seen little evidence... And I hate to say this because I love this city, but I've seen little evidence that we tend we we don't tend to come out in force for these things. I remember back when the cycling championship, the World Cycling Championship, was here. Depending on who you talk to, the streets were either flooded with everybody from Hamilton, or there were a bunch of people who were here from other places. But a lot of people from Hamilton, especially those who had kids in school or were teachers, took off as fast as they could to get out of town, and so. You now need to sell tens of thousands of tickets for events. I just take the money. If we are determined to spend money that, first of all, we don't even have, but if we're determined to spend tax dollars on facilities like this, at least spend all the money on the facilities, not on security, not on transit, not like for athletes, not on all this other stuff. Put it where we can actually use it and people who live here, as you've said, can use it long term. That's uh, that's that's the way I see it. I just I, I can't I can't I can't see any other better way, especially for a community right now that I think is riding a wave right now in terms of popularity. People want to live here. People want to live in areas. I took a drive the other day to Niagara on the Lake, and and I actually took the service road for a very long part of it. I, I was so impressed with the development of what we're seeing down on the lake and Stony Creek and Grimsby and areas like that. That's what I want to see. I, you know, I, I want to see improvement of areas like that. And I want to see all the money put into improving fields and facilities and, and upgrading our rinks. I, yep. I mean, that's where I would rather see our, our, our funds go and, and town council's uh, attention. Let's, let, let's, let's not get all dreamy-eyed here. with Well, yeah, because this, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I had meant to. Thank you for bringing that up. Because if we ever, and right now the position we're at is they want to, let me get the right wording here. They're talking about whether we should send a letter expressing non-binding interest. So basically saying, hey, we might be interested. If we send this, even if we send this letter, we are opening the door to another LRT, another stadium thing. This is now, we are saying, Let's get started on this. And we're going to spend so much time and have a huge distracting civic discussion. I, I'm with you. This, is, I, this will be a huge, huge distraction. And I don't think we have the money to even be talking about this right now. Oh. And I don't know. Th- there are two counselors right now that are listed in this piece by Matt Van Dongen, uh, Maria Pearson and Doug Conley, who say they're open to exploring the concept. Okay. But I don't believe, and we got to go, I don't believe that you're going to be able to find a Hamilton City Councilor who is going to stand up and be a champion of this, because I don't believe anybody wants to be the whack-a-mole 
who takes the pounding for suggesting that we want to spend a billion or a billion and a half dollars on this, which is why I think it probably won't happen. I, 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 and I won't cry over it. Bubba O'Neill, we don't want to make you cry. We want to make you come on here and be happy. <laughs> I am. <laughs> 11 o'clock, you can watch Bubba on CHCH, sir. Thanks for doing this as always. Yeah, always a pleasure. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. One of the issues of the day, although i got to be honest, and, and when my guest gets on here, I'll bring him on in just a second, I think he may even admit, maybe, I think, that this has become in some ways a hard topic, concussions we're talking about, to talk about because some people have just decided, nah, I've heard enough about it. There is a guy down in the States, he is a color commentator for ESPN football, one of the top guys in the business, when they have the biggest college games of the week, this guy is usually on the broadcast team calling those games. At least he was. His name is Ed Cunningham. He was until this week when he decided that after seeing all the research and seeing all the stuff that he's seen about concussions, he can no longer work as a what he calls a cheerleader in football when he knows that guys on the field are injuring themselves. He just says, I cannot be associated and affiliated in a, again, cheerleader role with that anymore. So he took his big paycheck, put his money where his mouth is, and he decided he was going to walk away. He can no longer be part of it. And the reason I bring that up is because, interestingly, ironically, I don't know that he's seen the Hamilton Spectator this last couple days. I don't have any reason to think he has yet. I'm sure he will. But there is a terrific series, but it's very troubling, but it's a terrific series by my next guest, Steve Bust, that has run for the last two days. It's got two more days to go. It's called Collision Course. It is about concussions in football. It is approached from a different perspective. Steve Buse joins me now. Steve, thanks for doing this tonight. My pleasure, Scott, as always. Uh, when I say you have approached this from a different perspective, a lot of the studies that have been done on football players' brains to this point sadly have been post-mortem. They've been football players who have died, have committed suicide, have donated their brains previously because they thought something might be scrambled up there. And afterwards, doctors and coroners and everyone else took a look at it. Uh, You're not looking at dead men's brains. You're looking at live men's brains. How have you done this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're, we're a little bit excited about the research because we're not aware of anyone that's ever done this before. So uh, I worked with six researchers at McMaster University. Uh, it's been a two-and-a-half-year uh, project. Um, we recruited uh, 22 retired CFL players uh, ranging in ages from, uh, at the time of testing, 44 to 66, uh, various lengths of careers, various positions. And we put them through some uh, pretty sophisticated uh, brain analysis testing. So we uh, we ran them through a functional MRI so that it would not only look at the anatomy of the brain, but it would also look at the sort of functional capacity of the brain and how the brain is, is you know, basically firing. Um, we looked at the thickness of the cerebral cortex, which is very important because that's where, you know, billions and billions of your of your brain cells are located. And then uh, we also gave the guys EEG tests to measure the electrical activity in the brain. And then we gave them also some computer module, um, you know, sort of cognitive tests. Um, And so, you know, we don't know of any other work that's ever looked at retired living football players uh, with such a wide array of tests. So so we feel fairly confident that, um, you know, that our results are, are, you know, reliable from a scientific standpoint. 
And you compared these, uh, as I and I say as I understand, I know because I was actually one of the, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I was one of the uh, supposedly healthy, uh, <laughs> uh, what do you call them, uh, uh, test subjects who hadn't you're, played you're football. A control. You're, a control. So I had never, I've never played football. To the best of my knowledge, I've never had a concussion. You found a bunch of other people in that same category to test so the football players' brains were actually compared to the people who hadn't played football and had concussions over their careers. And even in the first couple days of this uh, series, Steve, um, especially day one, man, uh, the the chasm between the test subjects and the football players, uh, how do you describe it? I mean, it's, it's, it's enormous. It, it is. And, and, you know, I think the words that we've been using, I don't think they're it's hyperbole. I mean, you know, it's shocking. Um, it's disturbing. Frankly, uh, you know, we've, what we've found is horrifying. I mean, you know, as, as I've said in the series. Explain. What, what have you found, basically? So uh, we had players who had results that were uh, no different than the results that you would see in coma patients. And I mean, to think, to think that there are guys walking around living their lives uh, and their brain function doesn't look any different from a coma patient to me is just frankly horrifying. So um, probably the most startling findings were looking at the, the thickness of the cortex. So that's important because the cortex is that thin layer around the outside of, you know, when you see a picture of the brain, you see all those lumps and folds. And, uh, you know, that's traditionally what people think of of the brain. It's it's actually the cerebrum and and covering that is a thin layer of where all of the billions and billions of, of the bodies of the nerve cells are, which sounds a bit counterintuitive because, um, you know, why would you have those on the outside when that's the very first thing that's going to smash into the inside of the skull during a, a hit? So uh, so the thickness of that cortex is very important because the thinner it is, uh, the more evidence that there's, you know, been the loss of, of these nerve cells. And it is true what people say. Um, you know, when you lose a nerve cell, when it dies, it's gone for good. You can't, you know, you can't regenerate it. It's not like a muscle. You can't, uh, you know, you can't exercise it. So when you lose your brain cells, you lose them for good. Um, and what we found was the the cortical area of the players, on average, uh, it was just massive devastation. There was a significant thinning of the cortex, um, you know, virtually all over the brain. I mean, it was 65% of the of the total area. About 20% of the entire mass of the cortex, on average, was lost in the players, which is really just a staggering amount of, of damage. Can this can this happen, Steve? Can that um, part of the brain wither or go away simply by age? Are there other factors that could lead to that? So uh, that's a great question, and that's one of the reasons why we, uh, when we got test uh, control subjects, um, we age matched them. So. All of the comparisons that we've done have been age matched, so you adjust for ages so that it's an apples to apples comparison. Because yes, over time your your cortex will get thinner. So, uh, you know, if you were to look at uh, the cortex of a say a 20 year old uh, on average um, versus an 80 year old, it would be quite different. Um, and that's one of the other things that that we found. You know, when when Luciano Manuzzi, he's a clinical psychiatrist who was part of our team. He He's also a brain imaging expert. I mean, he he said he was looking at the brains of some players in their 40s that look like the brains of somebody who is 90 years old. Huh. Um, you know, which again is is frankly rather horrifying. When you matched up the age to age, so it was as you say, apples to apples. Was there any? Were there any cases where the test person, the the test subject, 
was worse than the football player? Well, I, I, at, a, at an individual level, I mean, obviously there's going to be variations. Um, not every player showed the same amount of, of damage, obviously. Oddly enough, um, there were parts of the cortex uh, that were actually thicker in the players, and those areas that were thicker actually corresponded with things like um, physical coordination, uh, which you would expect because these were guys that were uh, excelling in a sport that required uh, those types of skills. So you might expect them to actually be overdeveloped in those areas. So what has been... Now, the, the football players... Uh, before I ask you what their reaction to this was, how did you how do you find these guys? Did you just blindly call or, uh, you know a whole bunch of guys that you found names for and say, "Hey, would you do this?" Uh, that, that was one way. Um, you know, so we we started contacting people that we thought might be interested. Um, then the word started getting around. So some players, uh, some of the retired players, heard from some of the other retired players who had taken part, and uh, you know, we started contacting alumni associations. Um, some of them were pretty good about getting the message out. Um, so yeah, it was it was a combination of you know kind of targeting targeting in the sense that you know you know who some of the people are around the area who are who are you know former you know Ticats or Argos or whatever. Well, some and of the names know, that were Mike Morreale is involved and Rocky DiPietro and I mean there are some guys who have their names have been in the paper. I'm not giving anything away. Who have been famous guys? Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh, uh, you know, so one of the limitations to this study, um, it's the same limitation that uh, Boston University uh, Brain Bank uh, study has. Um, this was not, in, in the truest sense of a scientific experiment, this was not a, a random sampling. So um, as you can imagine, you can't force somebody to, to you know, you can't frog march them into a, an MRI machine. Um, so, you know, in a truly perfect scientific world, you'd have every retired CFL player, you'd put all their names in a hat and randomly draw out 22 and test them. But, you know, in this case, you're sort of dependent on people who are going to, to volunteer. Just like the brain bank is not a random sample. These are people who have chosen to, or their families have chosen to donate their brain. So that's not a random sample either. But, you know, that's that's a limitation. I don't know how you could get around it, though. So we did the best we could. We we certainly made sure that we had a range of ages. We had a range of careers. So we had uh, guys that had uh, careers that lasted from, uh, you know, one season to 14 seasons. The average was about eight seasons. So, you know, we had a good mix of, of uh, guys. We had a very good mix of uh, what we would call the uh, different positions in football. So if you were to take football and divide it into two camps of players so you'd have what we would call the strength position so the offensive and defensive line and then you'd have the what we would call the speed position so um, you know running backs receivers defensive backs linebackers so the speed positions those are guys that have fewer hits in a game but when they do have hits they're at much higher energy and much more you know likely to to cause a concussion or damage and then you have the strength guys who um, you know, they stand a yard apart, and they don't really get up enough energy to, to maybe get to a concussion level, but they might do it 100 times a game. and it's that Cumulative. Sort of, yeah, it's the, it's the cum- accumulation of what, what they call sub-concussive blows that is now a concern to a lot of researchers. And actually, our research showed that uh, it was the strength positions that actually performed uh, slightly worse than the speed positions. Hmm. So those those guys that are just constantly knocking their heads 
you know, sort of at a lower level, but a hundred times a game, actually we're doing a little bit worse. Any, any players that you contacted say no and specifically say no because they were concerned what they might find out? So we, we had about what I would, I would break them into three groups. We had guys who, um, you know, everyone was polite. And so they politely said, I'm not, I'm not interested. Uh, I, and I think a lot of them, those ones just didn't want to know. Uh, they, they want, as one guy said, he, he said, I can't do anything about it. I can't change anything. There's no cure. There's no treatment. Uh, I don't want to know. It's not going to make any difference to my life. I'm just going to live as healthy as I can and, you know, and take care of myself. And then we had guys who wanted to participate in the study, but then didn't want to know their own results. Uh, they, they were happy to, you know, sort of advance science, but they didn't want to know their own. And then there were guys who wanted to participate and also wanted to know uh, their own personal results. And when, from the, what has the reaction been from most of the players? And I know everyone's different. Everyone's a unique individual, but have for most of the players, even if they're at the minor end of the effects, have they been shocked? Um, I would say that, that the, the reaction from the players has been pretty universal. Um, they're surprised, they're shocked, or I'm sorry, they're, they're shocked, um, they're concerned, but they're not surprised. Um, I, I think hmm. a lot of them at this point with the, you know, with the sort of research that's starting to emerge, I, I think a lot of them know that this is, you know, a possibility uh, for them. So they're, um, they're not surprised. And, and I mean, you're also talking about, you know, if you had a guy that had a 10 year career, he probably also played four or five years of high school. Yep. He probably played four years of university. Yep. He may have played as a kid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as Dan Ferrone said, he was named in our study. He said, you know, he, he had a 12 year career. He played five years of high school, four years of university. He said, that's 21 years of football. He said, that's a lot of abuse, you know? So, I, you know, some of the guys that came to us, they may have suspected that something wasn't right or they were maybe concerned that maybe something's not right. Um, and some of them felt like they had no symptoms whatsoever and, you know, were just curious about where they were at. I know you reached out to the CFL. Did you get the sense, and I don't know if you can answer this question, did you get the sense the CFL was excited about finding out about this or was begrudging or didn't want to know? Or where? what sense did you have about the league and what their interest in this was? If exciting is one of the words, I would make that maybe the hundredth word that I would <laughs> Okay. Uh, of choices. Um, you know, I can't speak for the league. We, we we provided them with a very lengthy summary of all of our scientific results. We, we didn't hide any. We didn't play gotcha with them. We, you know, I basically gave them exactly what they were going to see in the newspaper, um, spelled it out word for word, um, gave them plenty of time to respond um, minutes before the deadline. And they were aware of what the deadline was minutes before the deadline. They sent a one and a half page, um, you know, almost form letter. Um, didn't even come on CFL letterhead. It wasn't signed by anyone. I had to go back to them to ask who should I attribute this statement to. Um, you know, they're in the middle of two um, reasonably high profile lawsuits right now about how they have handled the issue of concussions over time. And I think that, um, you know, they're. Yeah probably rightfully concerned about, um, you know, liability issues. And I can imagine that they're probably concerned about a study like this coming out at this time. Um, 
you know, I, I, I was a little surprised that they weren't a little more, um, a little more forthcoming with, um, you know, comment on our research. It has nothing to do with the lawsuit. It just has to do with research. And these are their former players. You would think that there would be some level of, um, I don't know, I don't know if compassion is the right word, but just uh, something more than just what seemed to me to be a corporate statement. Any of the players that you tested after finding out the results indicate that they were more likely to join a lawsuit? Um, so that's a tricky one. Um, I, I didn't delve into a lot of the, you know, whether they were or weren't already a part of a lawsuit. Um, to, to be honest with you, I think uh, some of the guys that participated, and, and I'm not going to name any of them because that's for them to talk about, but um, I think some of the guys that participated feel a real sense of conflict because they played the sport. Uh, they played the sport willingly. Um, in some cases, they felt like they knew what they were getting into. They knew the potential damage that could happen from not just to their brains, but also to their bodies. Yep, yep. Um, and so I, I think that some of them were um, really conflicted because they loved the sport. They played the sport at, a, at the highest level you can play it, the professional. And, you know, to them, some of them look at the lawsuit as, um, I think, kind of um, almost backstabbing their former life, you know, that, hmm. that, that in some way they would be, uh, you know, being a traitor to, to a sport that, you know, they feel was good to them despite the damage that may have been caused. Steve, I have literally one minute left, but this, what I really wanted, well, there's many things and you've done a great job and I, we could do this for two hours quite easily. Um, what effect do you think this is going to have? Or more particularly, where do you think the effect is going to be? Cause I can't imagine any or many professional players reading this. I think they'll all read it, but I can't imagine many pros who are already playing pro football saying, okay, that's it. I'm out. Um, um maybe, maybe, but where, where will this have the impact? Do you think? I think, um, I think the first choke point is going to be parents. Um, I think, I think this is going to, you know, in the next few years become a real issue for parents, especially moms. Uh, not that dads aren't important, but you know, this is going to be the kind of thing where a parent's going to say, I'm not allowing my child to do this. Um, and if it gets choked off at the sort of the youth and, and high school level, um, maybe that'll have an impact. But, you know, we have to remember that in the United States, you know, this is still almost a religion. And, you know, high school games get 20,000 people. So it's going to take a while, I think, for that to filter through. But uh, um, I think more and more people might seem to feel like me, which is I haven't watched one minute of the CFL this season, and a lot of it is because of these results and I knew what was coming and I thought, I don't know if I can support this game anymore. It's, that's a tough thing to ask me to do. Steve Bust, uh, you can read part three of Collision Course. It'll be in the spec tomorrow and then part four will be in Saturday, I assume. That's right, right? That is correct. Okay. Uh, you know, I've realized I never actually asked that part beforehand, but I assumed. Uh, and if you missed the first two, they are online at thespec.com. Please go and read them. It is great journalism. It is really important. It is fascinating. It's disheartening. It's a lot of things, but it is well worth your time. Steve, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. Again, it's called Collision Course. It'll be on the front page if you haven't seen it already, but um, my goodness, it is, uh, it is great science. It's great journalism. It's just really, 
really kind of distressing. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.